So we've got uh, Lauren. Yeah, yep, that'll be good. Bring your tucker with you. Tim, James and, and lovely Mary. So guys, what you're going to see on the screen in a moment is our questions that we have left over from last time. If you've got some questions tonight, I'm going to ask that you SMS those questions to the phone number that comes up on the screen here. So you can uh, pretty well stay anonymous in this whole process. Um, Whilst we're going through the process here, please take a seat, make yourself comfortable. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) they don't need to see you, yeah, that's right. Have a seat. I'll pass the mic to you. If you want to stand up, you can too. You can hear me? Can we turn up? Thanks, Peter. Can you tell me when you think it's loud enough because it's important that you can hear the answers that come through. Is that getting better? Yes? No? The other, con- the other thing is stop talking and you'll be able to hear me. No? Can you hear me now? I'm getting blank faces. Can we hear me? Hello? Not really. We need more, Pete? I think we need more. Is that it? How's that? Is that better? Oh, that's better. You can hear us now. Awesome. Okay, so what I've been saying is we've got our questions left over from last time. We've got about five or six questions that we're going to try and get through tonight. But I'm also going to give you the opportunity to SMS through more questions if you'd like. There's a phone number there which will come up there. It's not there at the moment but it'll come up. You can SMS your questions through to there. Oh yes, it is up there. There is a phone number there. And um, as we go along tonight as well, if you have a comment uh, or uh, to one of the questions that are coming through, I ask that you put your hand up and, and I'll allow you to have your comment. But let me just say, to be fair to everyone, if a question or a comment comes through that is uh, controversial or needs more thought on it, um, then we will take that on as notice. Does everyone understand that? Okay. <clears throat> so our first, so and and I, I say to our panel, our esteemed panel, uh, these guys have had a chance to look at these questions. Um, I'm going to ask the panel that you keep your answers to about a minute. About a minute. That's a bit rough, isn't it? Yeah, about. <laughs> but I'm going to say, and I'm going to ask the panel and anybody here, please don't be offended if I ask you to finish up in another uh, 30 seconds or something like that. Only because I want to try and keep this fairly interesting and I want us to uh, try and keep it... Uh, keep us on, on, on the path that we're on at the moment. So our very first question is, how would Jesus treat LGBTQ? That's not ABCD. Does everyone know what LGBTQ people if he were here today? Do we know what it is? So it is. Life be good. Who knows? Who knows what LG... Yes? We've got a few people, the panel all know, don't they? So what is it? It's um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, question. That's right. Okay. 
Righto, so here we go for our first question. Let's give these guys their uh, chance to answer this question. How would Jesus treat LGBTQ people if you were here today? And let's go with Tim first. Um, yeah, I've got a pretty simple answer to this. I think it's pretty obvious he would show them love. Like that is, That's clear cut. Might as well work out what's simple with this question. Um, what would that look like exactly is something that we probably don't know. How, how Jesus would exactly work because um, in his culture at the time when he was in his ministry that, that didn't exist um, but there's very similar things going on with him um, reaching out to the outcast of the day. Gay people, this whole group's not really the outcast anymore but they're still people who would need love firstly. Um, what I would say is like to have a guess at how he would be doing it, he'd be doing it in a way that would be profound. You could expect that because that's what we see in the Gospels when Jesus loves people, it's profound. It has these, sends out big ripples. Um, and it's quite possible that a lot of people in the church would reject it. Um, like the Pharisees of today, we'd probably be like, oh, that's not right. Um, because I think those kind of people still exist um, in our church. Um, what have I got written down here? Yeah. But the other thing is, so he would show them love, but you don't have to read much of the gospel, uh, Gospels until you see Jesus say something challenging. Um, so he would, he would manage to walk the balance really well between uh, showing love, reaching out to people, but standing for truth, keeping his credibility and standing for truth. So that's what I think you would expect um, to see Jesus do. We've got another question later that's really relevant to this as well, so I'm going to expand upon that later. Thanks, Tim. Good answer. Lauren, do you want to answer, add any further to that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, pretty much Tim wrapped up how Jesus would um, definitely show them love. And some verses to just clarify that would be in the Psalms, there's a lot about God's love and especially unfailing love. And that obviously applies to all. And one of them is Psalms 32, verse 10, which are many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. And again in Psalms 33 verse 5, the Lord loves the righteous and the justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. So yeah, I think that's unfailing. Mary or... We should be in a position to be open to being and challenged but also that should be done in a gentle and loving and compassionate way where um, we're, we're seeing people built up rather than being destroyed as a, as a consequence of, of being challenged. Um, yep. But I, I agree with everything they say. Thank you, wise panel. Any comments on that? Anyone like to make a comment today? Yeah? Okay. I am going to keep you short, Okay. I just wanted to say that uh, I wouldn't uh, compare someone who is born into a particular sex to adultery. I wouldn't necessarily regard it as a sin if someone is genetically of a particular sex. So my perspective on that would be that I completely agree that if someone's born um, 
different and that may be that they have different sexual attractions, then um, I think you would treat it as our own brokenness and our own weakness and our own temptations and that um, my weakness compared to James and he'll have his weaknesses but we both should, um, yeah, we, shouldn't, we should be refraining from acting upon that to the best of our ability through Christ's strength. So I would say that that would apply to them as well. Yeah, I would agree with Lauren as well. Ultimately, if you, for example, Jesus actually says this. He he's, um, talks to a man who looks at a woman lustfully as committed adultery in his heart. And I am, for me, that would I would have to say that's my biggest weakness. So I, I'm, I, that, that's something I'm tempted into is, is um, finding a, a woman attractive. Now. The, the challenge for me in, in my weakness is to actually deal with that in my life and, and make a stand. And, um, and, and ultimately, every single one of us has got sin in our lives that, that we have to deal with. Um, now, do we make a stand or, or do we submit to that, that sin? Um, and I think the, the, as far as faith is concerned, um, as a believer especially, and we have to make a stand. And I, am, I think as Christians, we actually fail people if we don't tell the truth. Um, so, for example, um, this bit of scripture here that says, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft and hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and, and the like. And, th- and this is the warning. This is where it, the rubber hits the road. It says, and I'll warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And um, I, I think as a Christian at, at the moment for me, I want to love people with all my heart and I don't want to see people hurting. Um, but there are also truths in scripture and um, people have to be warned at the same time that there's, there's, we, we have to stand against sin in our lives. Um, and Jesus challenges us to do that. We have to be aiming to be godly and righteous. Um, yeah, and I think all of us are faced with that, every single one of us in, in different ways. Um, yeah, there's, I don't, there's no proof that people are born um, with a, a homosexual gene. Um, there's a predisposition but um, th- uh, there's also nurture, uh, the environment plays a huge role. So uh, I just question whether people are born into it. Um, yeah, it's more the influence of, of their surroundings and upbringing, I'd say. But um, whether it's sin or not um, is really, um, we have to look at the Word of God and the Word of God clearly says that it is sin. Um, so... Uh, I don't think we can 
excuse it because um, because they're struggling with it. It's just part of the fallen world that we live in, and and God would um, He would want to help them and heal them. So yeah. That that's something. Um, that's something that's more than what we've got. is is not a truth. Um, I'm sinful as well as anybody else. Um, but to to make to submit to it and say, well, um, I think that's where the issue becomes a different thing. To say that I am going to live that way of life. So if I if I like children and um, I choose to live that way and seek out children, um, most of society would say that. Well, that's wrong. Um, where um, I think we're going into uh, an age where um, uh, I, I, where it's it's um, almost normal. Um, well, it, it is normal part of society now that that, that um, is acceptable. Um, and I think we we have to be sensitive and gentle, but also. Um, be open ourselves as to our own failings as well at the same time and, and just be honest. I, I think it should be an open conversation all the time in, in a loving and gentle way um, all the time. Thanks James, thank you. Uh, so going back to the question, the question says how would Jesus treat LGBTQ people if he were here today? Well I think personally it comes down to a very simple, the, 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 the greatest commandment. It basically said, love God, love others. I think, and that's what our panel's told us tonight, although we have swayed just a little bit on some of the other issues that are outside in the world. We're about to go to our sixth question. Are there any verses in the Bible that have really helped or encouraged you lately? Now, the panel have had a chance to think about this. You guys haven't. So I'm going to ask you guys, have you? I'm going to listen to it in a moment because I'm going to give the panel, two of the panel have theirs first, then I'll come back to yours and I'm going to give anyone else an opportunity to say, is there a Bible verse that's challenging to you and that you've got something out of it this week? And we'll start with um, Mary. Um, a while ago I was challenged to go read some sections of the Bible that I tend to avoid and uh, one of these books was Numbers and I was reading, I was actually surprised I got something out of it (laughs) and um, it was Numbers chapter 4 and I'll just read you a couple of the verses so you get the drift. Um, So the Lord's commanding um, Moses and Aaron to organise the Levites in how to, when they... um, packed up camp and were going to move, they had to pack up all the tabernacle and he was organising them uh, exactly how they should do it. Um, This is the work of the Kohathites. Um, They were a a sub-tribe of the Levites. Um, So this is the work of the Kohathites in the tent of meeting, the care of the most holy things. When the camp is to move, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtain and cover the ark of the oh, I should have brought my glasses ark of the testimony with it. 
Then they are to cover this with hides of sea cows, spread a cloth of solid blue over that and put the poles in place. So he goes on and has all this detail, exactly how they to pack everything up and cover it with particular cloths and how to, how to carry it. And um, it just really impressed me that God is really interested in the mundane um, tasks um, and it showed me God's administrative side which I'd never even thought of God as an administrator or a manager and here he, he is um, explaining to Moses exactly how to lead his people. Um, this is how you're to organise them in the very minute detail and that encouraged me because I'm um, working in administration and sometimes you don't think it's a spiritual task and you think it's mundane and not important. But by reading that chapter, it, it showed me God is very interested in how you organise his church and he, he has chosen certain people to do certain tasks and where to honour that, honour their leadership and um, they to take the responsibility very seriously that this is a sacred task and it's not just um, humdrum stuff. So people who are out there washing dishes, who prepare food for us, who um, organise, arrange flowers, who do the computer, uh, who do the bulletin, um, I, I just sort of looked at this in a new light that it, it might seem like mundane but it, it's a sacred job and it's very special to God. Thanks Mary, that's really good. And Tim. Um, so I'm the kind of person who goes in, down these rabbit holes um, in what I explore with my faith, probably everyone realises that, and I can get into these really heavy topics and it, it can leave you feeling unsettled um, and you just can't get these answers to these questions you've got burning in your head and sometimes I get pretty heavy, like a pretty heavy feeling with it um, and I've found myself um, coming, because I try to get balance in my faith, like I'm trying to find out how to... How do I deal with these heavy topics and, and then not forget core things? Um, and I find myself coming back to Isaiah 53 really often, um, which is the, the prophecy of the Saviour that's to come. And it's a bit like hitting a reset button and getting focused on core thing, that's Jesus. And I find myself getting it like, it always cuts me to the heart. It's such a powerful passage. And I, and I find myself a bit more planted and I'm like, yeah, wow, what a Saviour. How undeserving I am. And then those questions don't sort of haunt me as much as they can. Um, and I'm like, okay, it's all right. I've got, I've got the most important thing here. I can lock onto that. That's, that's great. Thanks, Tim. And Mel, let's hear what you've got to say. I'm a bit like Mary. I try to avoid some, Bible, some books in the Bible. But um, Deuteronomy 30, um, chapter 30, verse 6 I thought, how awesome is our God? Not only does he just require us to believe in him and he does everything for us, but he goes beyond just blessing us. Listen to this. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all of your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart 
and soul, and so you may live. And I just get blown away by that because I think God even helps me change my heart toward him. You know, how awesome is that? Yeah, um, I was reading, um, I can't remember, somewhere in the New Testament and it was saying, be holy even as I'm holy and I'm thinking, how do you do that? But the thing is that it is God at work and it's actually allowing him, you know, so often we've got our own agenda and we plan and, you know, try and work out our own life and it's, when I start to, I think, Judy, you can't do it, you, you've got to stop it. And when you actually, the other day, it was a couple of days ago, um, I said, Lord, I'm going to let go, I'm going to let you, you know, take charge of my today. And I had such an awesome day. By the end of the day, it was like, wow, God, I want to do this more often. And, and, and um, it is, it's about letting God be God in your life, being real with God. It's so easy to play church and be, you know, I know it's, it's never easy, but I think when we really, in our hearts, have that motive of wanting to fellowship with God, he, he desires a fellowship, I think. And, you know, when we forget him and just, you know, think oh, I'll do my own thing, I think God's really grieved. So, anyway, that's, that's what I was. Let God be God. I like that. I like that. Anybody else got a favourite verse or something that's really touched on this week before I get back to the panel? And Lauren. Okay, so I was reading in my devotion the other day and I came across a verse that really sort of excited me and it's from Isaiah 12, verse 2 to 3. And it says, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. Or in Exodus 15, it refers to it as my song. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And I don't know, I just like... I don't know, it's just really cool that God can be our strength and our joy, our song, what makes us happy. Like, And I was thinking about like, what does it mean for God to be our strength? And of course, like he made the universe and spoke that into existence. Like, There's no other force of strength in this, in this world that would be as powerful and as foundational as that. And um, also that it's unlimited. Like, There's no end to God's strength. There's no circumstantial requirements, like it's just never ending and yeah, I just, I don't know, sometimes I forget that God can make me happy, like he can be the sole purpose of my joy, like he's not just my God who I love and who loves me, but can actually instill joy into my life. So, yeah. Well, can I say one more? Um, there's one more. Um, from Luke 25 to 28, or 12, 25 to 28, and it is... Walk into the fields and look at the wild flowers. They don't fuss with their appearance. But have you seen the colour and design quite like it? If God gives such attention to the wild flowers, most of them never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you and do his best for you? And James, thank you. Um, I'm a bit totally the opposite of Tim. And that um, I, I like things to be really black and white, and um, so I love bits of scripture that um, tell me just how to do it. Um, I like scriptures like that. And Proverbs chapter three, well, all the proverbs I just love. I love James, the book of James, because it's just black and white. This is how you do it. And um, 
Anyway, so Proverbs chapter 3 has been instrumental um, for me and I always keep going back to it um, because it says this is how you should act. And the, the good thing about chapter 3 especially is all these promises. Most of the rest of the Proverbs, there's lots of promises, but a lot of it is say if you act this way, this is the consequences. If you act this way, this is what God will do for you. Where Proverbs chapter 3, it, it talks about the promises that God's going to give out. So I'll, I'll read it. Um, Says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your heart. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. So again, just an act of promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Again, an act and a promise. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her powers are peace. And it goes on and on. That's only about halfway through. But just, I, I just love the fact that this is a way that we should act and then we get a promise that goes with it. And, and that's me. I love to see bits of scripture like that. Thanks, James. As we have our next question come up, and you'll see the number 0400309511. If you've got any questions, I'll uh, encourage you to keep sending and th- uh, send those through. But look, I've got a Bible verse too this week, and I thought it was really interesting too. It comes from Proverbs, and it said, uh, let me read it to you, Proverbs 16, and it's um, 31. Grey hair is a glorious crown, worn by those who have lived right. And I thought, gee, you know, maybe you haven't done too bad after all. Ah, oh, okay, there's some not so grey ones there. Okay, let's go to our next question. I did get that this week. <laughs> our next question is, God still creating his universe? This is a really good question. Not quite sure where this came from, but it's a really good question. And let's start off with um, Lauren. <laughs> okay, well... I think firstly I'd like to say that it's a really good question but I don't think it's salvational or anything that's going to rock the boat too much or it shouldn't rock the boat too much. Um, And I was thinking about this and I don't know, I was just sort of thinking that like in Genesis in verse 2, 1 to 2, hold on, it talks about, so by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work and obviously he thought it was really good so that's why he stopped. But in saying that, I do think that just through observing the ways of 
nature and life and stuff, that I think God created a world that it was created in a way so marvellous that it develops and grows. And so I, I think God's world that he created and finished creating was created so that it will last and keep creating and keep expanding and developing. And so, yeah, I think God created a developing world. I like that. What if I came up to you and put the mic in front of your face and asked you that same question? Could I do that? Better not. Let's go to uh, Tim. Um, so I, I find this question is a little bit open because um, obviously the universe is quite big. So I, I took a guess on what I thought this person might be pointing towards. So I might not nail it for them, but... Um, so is he making new physical matter and energy that we are pretty sure the universe is made of? Um, my gut would say probably not, but but really, like I've got no idea. Like, um, if when a flower is growing, um, was he there putting those molecules together, taking other ones, and and making something new out of it? Um, I think something to seems clear from scripture is that he's intertwined with his creation, he's active in it um, and so there's life in our universe and we believe life comes from God so he's present there as the source of life. Um, if you look in Psalms 95 it says his hands formed the dry lands um, but I think it's worth noting that's poetic, that's, that's a psalm. Um, and I, I don't think we should picture God as like a kid in a sandpit um, clumping things together. Um, scripture never makes any mention of cells, molecules, atoms, somatopic particles. The, God, the people of the day had no idea that stuff existed, so of course he, he doesn't mention it. Um, and so it's, it's never specified what level does God interact with his universe, this, this physical universe. Um, so we don't get to know. That's, I think we've just got to accept that we don't know that. Um, he's obviously clever, uh, creative and intelligent to levels that we can't comprehend. So the a point I would make is that if we, if we look at human artists and engineers and we look at the things people like that make and, and we often find these things hard to comprehend, how on earth did they, they make that? I can't figure it out. Um, when God does something, it ought to be mind-blowing then um, because he's obviously so much more than us, um, so we won't be able to fully comprehend how he does these things. I would even go as far to say in the new heaven and new earth we probably won't understand it because we don't, we're not going to be equal to God. Um, what I think is the most important point to make out of a question like this is that he is definitely making new things. We're born into a new life. Um, he's building a church, he's building a kingdom that's not of this world. Um, and he's restoring us to himself and this is a work that's going to be completed in this new heaven and new earth. Not that I fully get how that's meant to occur. I don't have my head around that. Um, but I think that's the important part to take out of it. We don't know with, with creation um, but the spiritual matter is an important one for us to make sure we've got, got a bit of a footing on that. Very good answer, isn't it? Very Did I see Amanda's hand that you had a question or comment? Oh no, I, thought, I did read that wrong. I'm sorry, Amanda. I, Mary, I'll leave that with you. 
Um, Genesis 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So that sort of makes it sound like it's finished. But um, Bruce Milne in in his um, doctrine book, Know the Truth, says that the biblical view of God as creator includes his continuous unbroken sustenance and renewal of the world. So um, I understand this to mean that God completed the main work of forming the earth and stars but he's continuing his creative work by making sure it all um, functions as planned. Um, Mill says that the Hebrew words used in the Old Testament to describe God's creative work are in a tense that implies continual uninterrupted exercise of an activity. So he created but he continues to sustain and um, uphold all things. Um, Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So he's keeping everything together. Um, We sang that song this morning, Lord I need you, without you I'd fall apart. And um, I'm sure their creation would fall apart without God. He's the one who's keeping it all working. And um, I heard that if the, if the earth were to move slightly closer to the sun, it would burn up and we'd all be sizzled. And if it moved away slightly further away from the sun, it would all freeze over. So God is keeping things exactly in the right place so that, that um, it all functions properly and all the stars don't crash into each other. And um, Mill says, if God were to withdraw his upholding word, then all being, spiritual and material, would instantly tumble back into nothing and cease to exist. The continuation of the universe from one moment to the next is therefore a great miracle and is fully the work of God as it's coming into being at the beginning. Um, Hebrews 1.3 The sun, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. So there's that sustaining work again, which is part of being a creator. Um, yeah, I think that's it. James, have you anything else you want to add to that? Okay, look folks, we're going to have a break for about five minutes. Come and have some dessert. Uh, help yourself dessert. Panel, come and get some dessert too. Uh, eat it quickly. <laughs> no, <laughs> and then we'll come back and answer another question. Yeah like we are talking about before, dehumanising other people. I think that's going to get worse and worse to a certain degree. But looking at the scripture, it's from Matthew 12, Matthew 24, verse 12. And it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And there's one more. Um, and it's from 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, and it says, But mark this, there will, t- there will be terrible times in the last days. 
People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with such people. And I think, yeah, like people aren't going to want to have something to do with us because we're lovers of God. And um, yeah, I think one of the to summarise that into what one sort of thing would be hard for the church is pretty much what everyone's been saying, but um, continuing to be bold and fearless in the name of Jesus Christ. And James, do you want to finish off here? Yeah, I, I think the other thing that is a challenge for the church at the moment is the brokenness of how the world sees the church um, these days. Um, the media have had a field day, um, for example, with um, child abuse within the church and um, to a certain extent they're even justified in that. And um, the, the depth of... Um, of, um, I guess, showing what real belief and faith and um, compassion and love that we have to um, transform how we actually go about doing that and just sitting in a church and feeling comfortable and, um, and expecting that people are going to want to come into the church is, is not a truth, it's not a, not, not a reality. Um, we have to be are people that are different, um, just like the early Acts church, we, we have to be exceptional at learning to love one another and then re- sh- showing people what it means to be real um, about our faith. Thanks, James. And I'm just going to come back to Andy. Same question. As a pastor of a church, how do you see that and your thoughts on it? I really believe that the, the biggest challenge for the Christian church um, is our unity as a, as a one voice, um, one unified voice. You know, so many times in the early church um, there were warnings. Um, 1 Corinthians at the start, um, it says, It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling quarrelling among you, my brothers, what I mean is that each, of, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? And, and Paul later on in, um, in, in, in Ephesians talks about Christ as he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And Paul talks about there's one Christ, one, one spirit, one, 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 one. And I think um, the biggest challenge for the, the church in Australia, I really believe, is, is, is a challenge to become one, to, to really realise that our similarities um, are far greater than our, our differences and that actually it's our differences that are um, not just in people's eyes, but I really believe that, that um, spiritually we've, we've given up a lot of our authority by being so divided that, um, that it's easy in a sense, like it's almost like the devil doesn't have to do anything because you just have to sort of let something sit there and just watch the division in the church. And so I think you know, one of the greatest challenges to us as the Christian church in Australia is to actually 
value that unity, that oneness in Christ that is ours, one body, and just go for it. You know, just allow God to, in a sense, the Spirit of God just to to just unify us all together. And and, and, and I hate to say it, but um, quite often that will only happen as there are pressures put on the church by the world. And um, and so I sort of see in this environment that we're in, it's it's quite. I hope that a, you know this sense of of, um, of you know, us against them isn't necessarily us against the Anglican Church, but it's actually this a, a unified voice asking, you know, the church being given the authority um, over the evil, not the people, but the evil that, that that seeks to break down the church. So my hope is that that you know the challenge to actually become unified, and and, and what greater way do we do that through prayer? You know, just just seeing um, brothers and sisters that, that for years have been um, just not even talking to each other, actually just realising it's the same God they're all praying to. So that that's what I believe is the biggest challenge for for the church is to actually um, humble itself and, and become unified. And that starts, I think, just with with um, with us here in the one church. You know, rather than expecting it of, of others just starting with us, with me. I, I choose not to be divided. So, yeah. Thank you, Andy. That was good. Well, no, I, I, I'd like to too. And I, look, let's do it. I'm just aware of time, that's all. Ten seconds. You've got ten seconds. Okay, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Preachers, ten seconds. I mean, well, we're talking about the Christian church and I actually say, well, the people of God in that. Um, if you're talking about the church itself, the church itself, I think, is one of the things is actually losing its prophetic voice because of the situations of the divisiveness and, uh, you know, just seeing, not being politically correct and things like that. So it's lost its, people see, lost its relevance in what I'm hearing. So I think for that, we need to regain our prophetic voice to show our relevance that, uh, and do that by actually being with the people and just listening and showing that we value people. Um, that too, but and uh, and globally, I mean the 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 role of tolerance you know, and being a lot of people say is oh that's my ten seconds so that will yeah um, is just the issue of is uh, you know always are equal to God. There's a lot of big movements in that across the world now, and um, just seeing how that we actually share our distinctiveness as well. So that's a big challenge for us to to voice that. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Uh, that's a big question, isn't it? It really is a big question. But the question applies to us as individuals as well. Um, what role are we going to take in that? Because it's a very important role that each and every one of us has to take in that. I'm going to our last question only because I'm caught up in time. I'm sorry. But our last question tonight is, and this is a really deep theological question and can be potentially divisive, as well. But nonetheless, we're going to have a go at it. How can a loving God send people to hell? Do you want to answer it? Well, let's give the panel a chance. Um, I'm lucky I found one of Bob Dennis's old sermons <laughs> and he answered this, so thanks, Bob. <laughs> um, Ezekiel uh, 18.32 I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. So God, God does not want people to go to hell. 
his desire is that they be saved. Uh, 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. So God's um, holding back judgment so to give people time to come to him and to be saved. Um, Hell is the consequence of living a life apart from God. Um, God is pure and holy and just. So he's loving but he's also just. He can't allow sin into heaven. If he just let, let everyone into heaven then it wouldn't be the perfect place that we hope it would be. Um, so being just, he has to um, punish sin. Um, Jesus came to take that punishment for us and so um, he wants to rescue people. It's like if, I, if a drowning person... Um, if someone throws a life boy out to a drowning person and they don't grab it, it's their own fault if they don't get saved. So I sort of see it that God's not sending people to hell. They are choosing not to be rescued. So that um, I think that's more close to the reality reality of it. Thanks, Tim. Um, okay, so this question's quite big in what it does encompass, so I'd, I'd preface my thing with we probably can't conclude it in this sort of discussion, right? Um, there's a lot of things come out of it. Um, and, and my response is definitely just some of it, not, not all of it, but it's a part I think is important. And it's, it's probably a bit hard line, what I'm about to say. It's my understanding of it, you know, don't accept it if you don't want to. Like, that's your thing to find out. But I'm just going to go for it, okay? <laughs> my, we're not good, that's what I would say. We like to think we are uh, and that we don't deserve bad things to happen to us, but I think we're just ignoring something that's hard to accept. Um, so... My analogy of it, well this is an analogy, this is a reality but I've got an analogy. Um, there are women and children around the world right now trapped in, the sex, in sex slavery and somehow I'm comfortable enough to go out and play golf and just enjoy that and, and have this, this disconnect to the things that are happening in the world um, and I think I can do that because I don't care enough and you might Maybe you'd think, yeah, but you're allowed to enjoy yourself, Tim. Um, but I would, my analogy would be if, if my neighbour was beating his wife and I could hear it occurring, um, I would immediately call the cops and I would be straight over there getting myself in that circumstance to stop it happening because I think we instinctively know that's not right, that shouldn't occur. Um, and with this sex slavery thing, the only significant difference is distance. I'm just, I'm just separated from the victims by a greater distance and that makes it much easier to not care. Um, so I, th- I think it's just that I'm not a good person and, I, and I'm confident that that's what the Bible declares as well. It says that from the heart of man is what defiles him. Like there's, there's brokenness in us and we can't blame anyone else um, for our own 
shortcomings. Like that's that's it's a hard pill to swallow, but I I understand that that's what Christianity claims that we're not good people. Um, but it's worth holding on to that in spite of that we're dearly loved by God, um, but we're undeserving of that love. Um, so God is definitely loving, but He's also just, and He knows the stuff I get up to. So He can't just leave that. Thanks, Tim. Just throw back to everyone here. Has anyone got a comment they'd like to make or a thought they'd like to share here? I think the rich man and Lazarus, where he actually says, you know, he talks about go to the flames which were reserved for you since before time or something. Like that. I can't find. I'm I'm sort of hearing some of Jesus' stories. He sort of he, he gives these judgments on people for their actions to to sort of go to eternal. Um, but I, again, they're just parables to sort of say what happens. But that's about the only time I can think that that there would be a declaration. By God of, of eternal judgment. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would just say that that question. If it's not theologically correct to say that God sends people to hell, then that question, that really should be the answer to the question, should it not? Okay. Oh, no, I'm happy to hear your thoughts. That's fine. God doesn't send people to hell. God gives people, a, there are people have a choice whether to live in harmony with God or outside of harmony. And God allows people, if they continue to, to not abide by God's will and um, his calling, to, he allows them to live outside of that. So they choose to continue to live outside of it for eternity, whereas uh, if you choose to live in harmony with God, then you live that way. So, so it's, I mean, God, because it's our nature of free will, that choice there. So it's not like it's telling for, for the, So the greater responsibility in this, in this type of question is not that somebody, God's sending them, but what is our response to that? Um, as we, you know, we've just been talking about, what is our response to, to knowing that these people don't have, you know, don't know about the choice that they have? So how do we actually fulfil our calling in that? So yeah. that's good. Just the questions are given to us, and we put them up as they come up. We don't vet them. Just briefly, link seven, eight, and nine here. That God is actually creating the universe through us. It's very important. We are the only creatures in this world who are aware that we are aware, who can actually tune into God. Now, the next one is, the biggest challenge to the Christian church is to tune into the Holy Spirit, to have the courage to use this God-given gift for us to actually to be able to tune into the Holy Spirit, not into our thinking and dogmas, and see the universality of unconditional love. When are we going to wake up and stop being sectarian in the name of being righteous? When are we going to realize that everyone, everyone is our brothers and sisters? So if therefore we are going to be relevant, which is the biggest challenge to the world, we have to wake up 
that we have to tune into the Holy Spirit and see every single human being on this earth as our brothers and sisters. Because that's what Jesus is talking about when he said, help the least of our brothers and sisters. And talking about hell, we constantly send ourselves to hell whenever we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and live accordingly. Amen. Can I just add to that? I, I actually don't agree with the last bit just because um, I don't think I constantly send myself to hell when I don't listen to the Holy Spirit. But I would say that where God is not is hell. So I think there's a lot of people today living in hell. And I think of you know kids or women in um, the sex trade who might be trafficked, who might hear about God. And even though I would consider that hell, heaven could be there. So I think that wherever God is not is where hell is. The one from the others. Yep, that's right. James, we're going to give you a chance to just about finish up here for us. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit left field here. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think, first of all, there's a bit of scripture that says that God knows the heart of man. Um, so... In reality, God knows us, to, the, the people that desire to want to be in relationship to him, with him and desire strongly to, to live his ways. And um, the reason I'm going to share this bit of scripture is because, I mean, ultimately God is preparing a kingdom for his people. And um, everybody gets the opportunity to be a part of that kingdom. Um, if we choose to follow him and actually make a stand in all, like all the things we've been talking about tonight to, be, to have an attempt to have a, dear, a, a real desire to love one another and care about one another etc um, now th- this bit of scripture I'm sharing is a little bit out of context so I want to put it into the context of what this bit of scripture is about before um, I actually read out um, the bit of scripture I'm going to um, this is um, there's a um, a guy who's been possessed by a demon, being presented to Jesus, and um, Jesus heals this man. And as a consequence of that, the Pharisees are saying, surely, as, um, as um, that Jesus is using the authority of Beelzebub, the authority of Satan, to drive out this demon. And um, and Jesus makes a response to that to the Pharisees. Um, so the context is that he's making a stand as to um, by whose authority he's actually doing this. But this is what he says. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. And how then can this kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you, you, your people drive them out? So then they um, drive them... Oh, sorry, let me read that again. So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And it, it goes on and it repeats that in a different way um, again. And then a little bit later it says this, um, or Jesus says this, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Um, so 
Jesus actually staying, like when you're thinking about the fact that he's creating him a kingdom, he's creating a kingdom that's being, where, where things are going to be restored and back to the way that they should be. Now if he takes into that kingdom people who don't have a heart um, for him, the, king, the kingdom will come to ruin. Um, simple as that. I, and I, I think God is coming back to the sheep and the goats. God is separating the sheep and the goats. The, the people who, um, who have it, like, like, like none of us are living in righteous. We, we, we all fail in that. Yeah, but when we get to that kingdom, we have a desire to want to um, engage in living a life that way. And man, I look forward to that day. Oh, I'm excited about that day. Um, it says there'll be no more weeping and tears and it's, it's a place of restoration. Now, if, if you're going to that place and you don't want to be restored, I, I, mean, I mean, God's got to do something about that. I, I mean, you have the opportunity, um, but do, are you going to choose that? Or, or, or are you going to say, well, it'll be right on the day, it's all good. Um, yeah, anyway. And Lauren, you've got the last say. Well done, everyone else. (laughs) Um, I'd have probably just one more thing just to say is that God is love and everything he does is an expression of love and if we're to judge God on that, um, what we think he's doing is loving or not, then that's saying that we're more loving than God and we're not. So... Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's our panel tonight. We've still got one more question we didn't answer tonight, but we'll bring up uh, at our next Q&A and we may have other questions too. Can I ask you to thank thank the panel? Good looking, very wise. Thank you for your input this uh, this evening. I appreciate it very much. Um, Those who'd like to help clean up afterwards, we'd appreciate it. Otherwise, have a terrific week while I close in prayer. Father God, I pray that you'll be with us this week. I pray that you'll lead us in all that we do. The questions that we had tonight, Lord, were challenging, interesting. Uh, Challenge us to check out those questions again and for us to try and answer those questions with you, seeking your wisdom in that uh, as we go about this week, Lord. Father, may we uh, do the week with you in Jesus' name. Amen.